There we go. Now we all know. Okay. Um, hi, Nigel. Welcome. Good to see you. Good to see you. Thank you. Um, yeah. And let's take a look at our source sheets here. Um, we're going to deal with the topic, which is I mentioned a few times over the last couple of days, which we're going to deal with today, which is the opening topic in the eighth parak. Again, the eighth parak is the one parak that is practical, um, although there are here and there in the first seven parakim, little notes uh, that are a practical halacha in our day, like taking steps backwards at the end of tefillah, et cetera, but, uh, and things about Kriyat Torah that we dealt with last week. But the eighth parak is all about Yom Kippur as we know it, fasting uh, at the end, Vidui, there's a passage about Tshuva. Uh, and so I want to take a look at the opening sugya, which is the prohibitions. But the prohibitions are not such a simple thing. And we're going to take a look, take it apart, and I'm going to, at the end, recommend that we have to look at the prohibitions of Yom Kippur through two different lenses to, un to understand them properly um, and, and teleologically. Uh, I just wanted to, to make a note um, that, uh, and, and I'm saying this with a very heavy heart, um, I, I had planned, as you could see from the source sheet, to dedicate this year to my father's memory, and I'm still doing so. This is my, one of my Yortzeit shurim. My father's Yortzeit is this Thursday. Uh, it's already 22 years. Um, and so in his memory, um, uh, we're going to be learning. However, a very dear friend and a, and a teacher and a, uh, a, a really a supreme human being uh, passed away yesterday morning. He was, as far as I'm concerned, the chief rabbi of all of North America, but he was, uh, he was the rabbi in Ottawa, Canada for, um, I want to say over 50 years, I think since 1969. Uh, Rabruven uh, Bolka, who was a dear friend of ours, who uh, a few months ago was diagnosed with serious cancer and fought it gall gallantly and bravely um, over the last uh, few months. But on Shivasavatamuz, uh, he was taken from us and Olivia was already, and um, he, he's, been, he's been mourned worldwide. Uh, just a couple words about Rabbi Bolka, who I, I'm Abe, I'm sure you, you knew of him if you didn't know him uh, in Canada. Uh, he was, he had the Royal Order of the Canadian, I forgot what the exact title is, um, uh, as like, like, a, like, a, like a peer. Um, he was a, uh, a, a psychotherapist, a student of Viktor Frankl, and he wrote 30 different books that were published and numerous articles. Um, he had a reputation, he had a radio show in Canada for many years. He had uh, a reputation as being somebody, uh, there's only two, two words to put together that define his life, and that was Kiddush Hashem. Everywhere he was, he was a Kiddush Hashem. To other Jews, to Orthodox Jews, to non-Orthodox Jews, to non-Jews, um, just you met him, you loved him. And uh, we had the schut of spending quite a number of Pesachs together with Ruven and with Leah, his, his widow, uh, and became very close with them. And um, I'll say we're, we're going we're gonna to miss him a lot. Yehizikro Baruch. And we will keep them in mind in, in this year. Okay, um, I'm going to follow Kurt's advice here. And we're going to start with not the psukim. We're going to start with the sugya itself, which begins on the second page and in source nine. There are many psukim that are invoked here, and that's a little bit of our problem. And that's why I have all the psukim at the beginning. But the Mishnah says the following. Yoma Kippurim asur ba'achila uvishtiya uvrechitsa uvesicha uvenilata sandal uvetashmish hamita. So right away, the first Mishnah lists six things that are prohibited on Yom Kippur, and this is besides melacha, besides melacha like on Shabbat. All right, they are eating, drinking, bathing, anointing, putting on shoes, and marital relations. All right, that's six things. Although we end up calling them five things. Let's we'll see now. Why are these things prohibited? I mean, let's start with that question. Why are you not allowed to eat on Yom Kippur? Why are you not allowed to put on cologne on Yom Kippur? Why are you not allowed to wear leather shoes on Yom Kippur? Or regular shoes, really? Enjoyment. Okay, so you're not allowed to enjoy. So you're allowed to study Torah on Yom Kippur? Yeah. Absolutely, right? And are you allowed to have uh, beautiful singing during the piyutim of Yom Kippur? Absolutely. I remember one year when uh, David Gershov was leading our tefillah in our small minion in Pats, 
uh, Kol Nidre night, the place was rocking and rolling. It was great. And that was totally in the spirit of Yom Kippur. So are we not allowed to get pleasure? Let's see if we can define it a little more tightly. Physical deprivation. Physical deprivation. Good. So do you really feel deprivation when you're not wearing cologne or oils? Some people do. Some people do, right. But it certainly seems to be subjective. Right, good. So I just want to park it and raise the question that it's not all, all that clear where all this comes from, all right? Now, the, the next Mishnah says, I'm skipping the, the, the part that's relevant to us is in big print. Notice that then the Mishnah says, if you eat this amount, I'm not concerned with the amounts now. If you eat this amount or drink this amount, you're chayav. Which means that there is no mention that if you bathe this amount, you're chayav. If you anoint this amount, you're chayav. If you put on both shoes, you're chayav or anything like that. So in other words, the, the, the Mishnah right away is saying something and switching back. It's saying there are, we're going to call them five things that are prohibited on Yom Kippur. And yet the only thing we're going to tell you about liability for, consequences for, is one of them, which is eating and drinking, which we're considering one. So right away, that's a question that I want to pose and leave in the background, but we're going to come back to it. And it's going to be actually the main point. Okay, so now the Gemara, and this is our sugya. We're going to deal with it first. Now, I've, like I did last week, I've presented it twice. One time, the only difference I've made here is that I've changed the font of the psukim. But everything else, there's no punctuation, there's no indentation, no nothing. And then you know what's going to be on the last page. Okay, Tana Rabbanan. So we have a Brighta here. We're going to see where this Brighta comes from. Te'anu et nafshotechem. So the Torah says, on this day, you should afflict your selves, your lives, your souls, whatever it is. But remember, soul in Tanakh doesn't mean some spiritual entity that resides wherever. It means your life. Right? In Tanakh, that's what nafish means. So te'anu nafshotechem really means afflict yourselves. Now, yachol yeshev b'chama ovetzina k'deshitztayer. So I might think that means you have to go sit in the sun and boil. Or maybe go sit in a dark, quiet, cold place and freeze. In other words, maybe you have to actively make yourself, put yourself in pain, sit on hot coals or walk on nails. And so the resolution to this problem is that the two things that are prohibited are that not prohibited, you are obligated to afflict yourself and you have to avoid melacha. And so right away, the rabbis are seeing these two as parallels. How do you how do you avoid melacha? What do you do to avoid melacha? You're doing it right now. You just sit there and don't do anything. Right? You just don't tie a knot. You don't start a fire. You don't cook bread. You don't do anything. That's melacha. That's your fulfilling melacha. So therefore, af inui nefesh So therefore, it must be that inui nefesh in parallel means do without. Doesn't mean you have to go and hurt yourself. But it means do without, right? Do without work, do without certain things um, that, will, that will make you feel good. You have to do without them. Let's see what they are. The Ema, so let me push it a little bit further. Now, by the way, the rabbis are know where this is going to go, but they're trying to demonstrate why it goes there. The Ema, so if you say that it's Sheval Taaseh, which means sit there and don't move. So therefore, it would mean that if you're sitting in the sun and it's hot, maybe we don't say get up and go to the, to the shade, meaning you don't have to get up in the sun to go get hot. But if you're in the sun and it's getting hot, you're not allowed to move. Shave it just like Malacha, don't do it and sit there and suffer. Or Yati uh, you're sitting in the shade and it's cold. We don't let him get up and get in the sun. So by the way, our original comparison or an analogy with Malacha would recommend this. Just sit and suffer. The answer is Dumya de Malacha. It's just like Malacha. Ma Malacha lo ba, So just like with Malacha, we don't distinguish whether the Malacha is something that's coming upon you and you're avoiding it or you're just not getting up to do it. Any Malacha is Asur, just sit and don't do it. So Inu is also one concrete thing, indivisible, which is you don't need to, to suffer. 
And so therefore you also don't need to even stay in the sun, right? So, and, and that's, and, and I will admit that this is a little bit of a slippery, not slippery, but a slippy kind of answer but we're trying to get to the point where we're saying it's only these five things and nothing else uh, that's involved. That's why I said at the beginning, we learn Torah, we sing, we do other things that are pleasurable. And here, even physical pleasure is okay. Do you sleep on a bed in Yom Kippur? Mm -hmm. right. Now, the people on Tisha who don't. People on Tisha sleep on the floor, sleep on a, on some, a hard place. But Yom Kippur, people generally sleep in a bed and, uh, and uh, you know, and get in pajamas and... Uh, normal kind of clothes okay so now tanya idach we have another bright huh? we're going to see the source of this one i might think you have to sit in the sun or in the cold and be suffering this is parallel to what we just saw so this is parallel in that they drew an analogy with malacha but here they said the following malacha is something which the Torah prohibits in other cases. Where does the Torah prohibit Malacha beside Jom Kippur? Where does the Torah prohibit Malacha beside Jom Kippur? Shabbat. 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 Right? So, that, so Malacha is not unique to Yom Kippur. So watch how they get here, because again, we're trying to get to Inui, but being what we know it is, which is avoiding eating and these other things. But how do we get there? Right? So therefore, we're starting this as follows. We're saying, all right, so malacha is something that's prohibited elsewhere and prohibited here. Prohibited Shabbat, prohibited Yom Kippur. So inui must be something that you're not allowed to benefit from in another place, and you can't benefit from here. So what's that? So they pick as two examples, and these are just examples, things which you are never allowed to eat, and they carry with them the, the punishment of karet. They're essentially the worst thing you could eat. A pigol, remember what it is from Kodashim, if somebody, let's say as an example, shechts a korban and say, I'm shechting this, shechting this in order to offer it up tomorrow, it's called pigol. And you're chayav karet for eating it. And notar is, you have a shlamim, and on the third day you eat from it. Right? It's over time, beyond its time, notar. So pigol and notar always go together, good. So we say, okay, so now the Torah is saying, avoid eating things that elsewhere you're, you're prohibited from. But the, the odd thing about that process is, Yom Kippur falls out this year on a Thursday. This Thursday, I'm not prohibited to do malacha. So comes a special Thursday in September and I can't do malacha, fine. Pigol and Notar, I'm never allowed to eat. So why would the Torah have to come and tell me, oh, and avoid Pigol and Notar in Yom Kippur? It's a strange development but watch how the how the midrash goes through it avi pigul venotar shein bekaret okay i understand the torah is saying avoid pigul notar because they are karet what's tevel the tevel is produce that you haven't yet separated right it's all mixed together you haven't separated anything and if you eat tevel the punishment is mitabide shamayim which we don't know what that is. But we know that it's supposed to be less severe than karet. All right. Shenova karet, tanu nafshotechem, right? Riba. Tanu and meaning, tamen nafshotechem riba, meaning it twice it says, you shall, uh, you shall afflict yourselves. Therefore, the reason it says it a second time is to expand it beyond the minimal category. Now, here we go. Avia tevel shubamita. Okay, tevel, there's a heavenly punishment. What's, what's the punishment for eating a nevela, a regular kosher animal that died the wrong way? What's the punishment for eating that? Makot. It's a lotase. So that's now less severe. Still a sword from the Torah, but it's less severe. Again, we're saying, oh, the Torah said, afflict yourself several times. It's expanding it outward. All right, so fine. All that means is you're not allowed to eat any foods on Yom Kippur that otherwise you're not allowed to eat anyways, which, by the way, means, you know, what's the big deal? And so how do I know to include chulin? Chulin is regular food. So there's no mitzvah eat chulin. Now we're getting really to something far more intriguing. There's no mitzvah eat chulin. 
ולא אביא את התרומה שהוא בקום החול, בתרומה, there's a mitzvah for the coin to eat תרומה. Now I have an interesting quandary. I gave the coin some truma on Erev Yom Kippur. Now it's Yom Kippur. He has a mitzvah to eat it, but the Torah says, afflict yourselves. What is he, should he do? So again, the Torah exp- expands it. Okay. So now I'm going to go one step further and say, fine, truma, if I give Sherwin some truma today, when can he eat it? Whenever he wants to. He can eat it next week. He can eat it next year. It's his stuff. What about Shlomim? When can I eat Shlomim? You know, for 24 or 48 hours. Yeah, that's it. So there's Baal Tiru. So let's say I brought a Shlomim on Erev Yom Kippur, and now it's Yom Kippur. And if I wait till the end of the day, then I've, I'll, then I violated what the Torah said of don't leave it over, and it becomes no tire. Now, by the way, notice that we have gone all the way on the swoop from foods that are the worst thing you could possibly eat to neutral foods, to foods that you're commanded to eat, to foods that you're commanded to eat today. And we're saying, expands it to say, even that is prohibited. But what I want to draw your attention to is everything here is about eating. There's no mention of bathing or any of the other things in this piece, right? It's all about eating. The question is, what kind of eating, etc. Okay, and then the, the Midrash concludes, which is a way of saying, if you're bothered by this, if something's bothering you, it doesn't say what's bothering you. And this is going to be the clue to what we're doing. What, is God, what does the Torah say God is going to do if somebody does not afflict themselves on Yom Kippur, I will obliterate that person. I will destroy that person. So what's the inference? So the affliction must be something that actually hurts your life. That's eating and drinking. So now, where, where have we gone here? We've said, the Torah says, you are obligated to afflict yourselves. And then I say, maybe that means you have to sit in the hot sun, maybe you have to sit in a cold room, maybe you have to suffer, right? The answer is no. It's like malacha, it just means avoid, don't get up and do certain things. And then we get through a whole gamut of different foods. So who says that it's foods? Says, so, oh, the answer is that, that what does God say at the, as the punishment for not doing Inui is, I will destroy that life. So, oh, therefore, Inui must be something that is destruction of a life, and that's eating. Are, are, are we all on the same page that we're not on the same page? Are we all clear that we're not clear? Okay, good. All right, good, because I, I don't want to be the only one who's confused. So now, that's the bright time. So, my of Shachlomar. Just a second ago, we said, if you're not happy with that, if you're bothered by that, so what would you be bothered by? Maybe the Pasuk is talking about arayot, meaning that the Inui would be to avoid wrong relations. Right. So therefore, the Torah says, the one who doesn't afflict himself, I will destroy that life. Therefore, affliction has to do with, but again, the, the, the connection is, is difficult. And then we have a whole different approach to this. Because what have we just done is we have this huge, I don't see if you can see my hands, but this huge, I'm doing a fish story, huge midrash. So gorgeous, big midrash. I'm going to show it to you inside in a second, which goes through Te'anu and demonstrates that it must mean eating. And then it goes through all the different flavors of food, if you will, from the perspective of prohibition all the way to commission. And then at the end, it says, and if you're disquieted by this, here's ironclad proof that it's about eating. Fine. And we've now left everything else in the dust, which is washing and, and anointing and all that. Other. All right. We're still not out of the woods of that. And now Rabbi Ishmael comes along with a whole different perspective. The very Bishmael Tana, Namar Khan Inui, even Namar Lalan Inui. In our section, it says affliction. And it says affliction later on. We'll see the Psukim. But it's talking about when God made us hungry in the desert and fed us man. Right? And now I'm going to flip back up to the first page and you can see it. In source four, 
Moshe says, remember the entire way that God walked you through for 40 years in the desert, you see it in the yellow, in order to afflict you, right? And then he afflicted you and starved you. And then he fed you the man so that you would understand that food comes from God, okay? But now we've gone in a different direction. The original direction, which we agree is, is strange, used Malacha as the model for Inui. And then Inui, we, we went on this whole path. Rabbi Ishmael goes in a different direction. He says, let's find places in the Torah where the verb ane, to, to afflict, not to answer, but to afflict, shows up. And the context is hunger. Therefore, it must mean hunger yourselves. Starve yourselves. Okay, just a second. V'neilaf mi'im ta'ane et benotai. But wait a second, in the very next source, source five, we have Lavan making Yaakov take an oath when they separate that Yaakov will take care of his daughters. Lavan's daughters married Yaakov. Lavan married his daughters off to Yaakov. Remember that crazy night. And, and now that Yaakov is leaving and they're not going to see each other again, Lavan makes Yaakov take an oath. Which clearly refers, in some sense, to something about marital marital intimacy, and here it means to deprive them of it. You shall not deprive them of it, right? So why don't we just say that that's what it is, right? That that the inui in 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 Yom Kippur is that. The answer is danin inui derabim inui derabim ve'en danin inui derabim inui de'achid. Now, Rabbi Shmuel started with something very simple and very eloquent, which is. The Torah uses the verb inui in the context of hunger, and the Torah here says, me'ane yourself. Must be, starve yourselves. Okay. Then we say, well, based on that, I'll find you other contexts where deprivation shows up with that word, and it doesn't mean hunger. Here it means intimacy. So maybe that's what it means. By the way, in the end, it will mean that, because we're going to forbid that in Yom Kippur. But at this point, when we're talking about inui, about ta'anu, and you're going to see the difference, um, he says, Inui Durabim, meaning God made the entire congregation starve in the desert and fed them on. And we, the entire congregation, are told to Inui ourselves on Yom Kippur, as opposed to Yaakov, who's one individual. So, therefore, we want to find a closer parallel, right? Um, well, we've got another way to go to get to the same thing. And we got to wonder what what is the Gemara trying to do here by insinuating marital intimacy into the package? It's already there in the Mishnah, isn't it? That's one of the things that's prohibited. So why are they raising this up as a trial balloon to shoot it down when in the end it's going to stay up? Or will it? You remember this pasuk? So in the Mikrabi Kurim that we read at the, as the core of the Haggadah, Rami Ovedavi, in the second of those four psukim, we say, Vayaret onyenu, God saw our affliction. And in the famous Midrash that we read at the Haggadah, we say, what's onyenu? Zu prishut derecheretz. That was the fact that men and women were separated from each other. We've all, we've all done at this Siddharim so many times, right? That the men and women separated from each other. And the general explanation is that when they saw that the children were being killed, they said, there's no reason to have children anymore. And then they divorced or they separated from each other. I had a famous story with Miriam and Amram. So why don't we do it? Uh, why don't we take a page from there and say again that Inui means a lack of marital intimacy, which by the mean, by the way, I mean Yom Kippur would only be meaningful for married couples, right? Uh, and only married couples at that particular time, et cetera, et cetera. The, so the answer is Ella Danin Inui The answer is God told us to afflict ourselves in Yom Kippur. God afflicted us on uh on the de- in the desert but lavan was the one who told yaakov and the mitzrim were the ones who did this to us so therefore we're going to find the closer comparison is when god's the commander here vis-a-vis the inuit okay now there's just this nice little midrash at the end which is that god fed you the man and the this remember it's spun off onto a long agadah at the man and the tal on top and on the bottom and and melted in your hand and where it fell and all of those other beautiful agadot. So um, what was the pain of the man? What was the affliction of the man? 
If somebody promises you, your employer promises you every day, I mean, most of us here don't have regular employers, but somebody that works on a regular job and an employer tells you that based on your budget, every day you need $700. So tomorrow morning, there'll be $700 in your account. And the next day, $700 in your account. But that's all you have. And by the end of the day, you have maybe $10 left in the account. You go to sleep the next day, $700. It's very, very upsetting. It's very uh, anxiety driving. And so that was the pain of the man, the fact that they didn't have it there, that every day they had to collect fresh. And then the other, Rabbi Yassi perhaps said, somewhat similar, but if you... Uh, look, open your freezer and you see two nice juicy steaks in there and you look at it and say, ooh, ooh, that's tomorrow night's dinner. Ooh, and you get excited about it. For a day and a half, you're excited about it. Hopefully not too much, but you know, it's, it's, it's something that's on your mind. Then you look forward and you sit down and you're salivating. It's all been building up. On the other hand, if it's a surprise, it's a nice surprise, but you didn't have a chance to build up that excitement. And so he's saying the, the affliction was that they didn't get to see the man before they got it. It was never in the pantry. All right, good. So just a small piece. Um, I, um, the, the Rishalmi, I just want to show you pro forma, the Rishalmi does the same exact thing and deals with the same exact problem uh, and brings the same brighter. And I'm just, I'm, I, we, if we had time to go through the details of the Rishalmi and show a few minor differences, but it's pretty much the same thing. Again, at the very beginning of our parak, ask, ask the same question the Babli asked, which is, um, is, uh, is there really only a sore? Is there no karate involved? And then it goes through the whole sugya of of, um, of how I expand it to all foods. Okay, and here's the Sifra. Now the Sifra, we're, we're not gonna look at this inside except to point out, does, just take a look at it and tell me if it looks familiar. This is the Sifra, there's the Midrash Tanaim on Vayikra on our Psukim in Achrimot. At, uh, at the end of the first chapter of Achrimot, Tanu Nafshotechem, does this look familiar? First of all, do you see the layout? You see what I did with it? Okay, so you notice I laid it out so you could see the pattern. All right, so let's take a look at it together and tell me, yell, give a yell when it sounds familiar. Ta'anu'at nafshotechem, the Midrash halachas, it starts with the Midrash, starts with the Pasuk, afflict yourselves. Yachol yeshev lo I might think that you have to sit in the, Yachol, by the way, is the, the school of Rabbi Akiva style. I might think, you know, from, from, from uh, the, the Seder. Yachom Rosh Chodesh. So, Yachol Yeshev Lo Bachamav at Sina Kadeshi Tzta'er. I might think you have to sit in the sun or sit in the cold and be in pain. So, Mod Lomar, Vachom Malacha Lo Tasu. Malacha, Saitu Lachab Makom Acher. Vino Saitu Lachab Makom Acher. Just like Malacha is Asur in other places, Inui involves things that are Asur in other places. Ma Malacha, Saitu Lachab Makom Acher, Malacha, Shachavina La Karet. And this, by the way, is a critical line that fills in a blank that we didn't have in the Bavli, which is just like if you do Malachan Shabbat, you're Chayav Karet. So therefore, the Inui here is to avoid things that you would be Chayav Karet for. And what's that? Notar and Pigul. Right? And then it builds out. And this is the missing link. Minayin the Rabota Tatvalim, Tanu. Does this look familiar? This is the same sequence we had in the Bavli. Guess why? The Bavli is using this Midrash. This is the source. The Bavli used this Midrash and edited a little bit here and there. Um, and, uh, and this is the uh, and this is the the, the text we end up with. Now, um, here, just for fun, I wanted to show you, we've seen this a couple of times. This is the Ketav Yad, which is the, considered to be the finest uh, manuscript of the Sifra. It's in Vatican, catalog number 66. If you take a look at it, just one thing that maybe I've shown you before, but if you notice it, you see that it has vowels. Everybody see the vowels here on the text? Yeah, right, but where uh, the above. But the vowels are above. above. What style is that, do you remember? Uh, this is the Babylonian style of, of, of pointing. 
of putting the vowels above the letters instead of the Tiberian style, which is what we all use, which is below the letters. Just thought I'd show you for fun. Um, you know, th this is the exact text that we have, right? And you could see it right here. Right, etc. Right, so, so, so the Sifri is earlier than the Gemara. By the Sifra, this is the Sifra, Sifra. but you're right. The Sifra is on Vayikra, the Sifri is on Bamidbar and Zvarim, right? And all those seven books. The Sifra is Midrash Tanaim. It was very likely edited during the very end of the Tanaitic era, maybe even the beginning of the Moraic era, but it predates the Bavli. So the Bavli. And the Yerushalmi will both use, and in our case, both of them took this whole piece out, as is, and put it in. They said, Tana Rabbanan, we're quoting a Brita, it's in the Sifra, and here it is. So now you're seeing it. We did a little bit of backwards history. We started with the Bavli, and then we went to the earlier source that it came from. That's the Sifra. But now I want to show you what is, uh, what is a more difficult thing here. The... Mishnah at the beginning said there are five things you're not allowed to do on Yom Kippur. What are they? Eating, drinking. Eating and drinking. That's one. one. What? Anointing. Anointing, Anointing bathing, shoes, and relations, right? Relations. Right. Okay, good. Those are the five things. The next Mishnah immediately went into a detail about how much you eat or how much you drink that gets you karet and doesn't make a mention of the other things. On the other hand, the line that I made small, but it should not be small, meaning I made it small for purposes of pedagogy, but it's not a small line, is that we allow the king and the bride to bathe, or to wash the face, I mean, right? We just saw that, I think, uh, yesterday. And the, uh, the woman who's just given birth to wear shoes, right? So that means that with these particular prohibitions were being more lax. Now you're going to argue, I'm taking a page now from the Rosh, you're going to argue that maybe these are cases of, of danger to life. Maybe the, the woman who just gave birth is putting a lot of put on a shoe because it's endangering her life to not have shoes on. However, you could make that up. But clearly that's not the case because there's danger to life, then first of all, the Chachamim would not prohibit it. And second of all, then it, it would be just a slam dunk for a permission. So this must be cases where it's not dangerous to life. And yet, they would, you're allowed to do it, which means eating and drinking. The later Mishnayot will talk about cases where people have diseases or sickness and they have to eat. The doctor, the rabbi, Paskin, whoever Paskins, right? But that's danger to life. Here, in, these, in the case of these other prohibitions of bathing and of shoes, then there's certain situations where it's allowed. Special but circumstances. What? Special circumstances. Yeah, but special circumstances should not work if it's a prohibition from the Torah of Inui, right? <coughs> and the second thing is, why are there no consequences here? Why if not? I go take a full shower in Yom Kippur. Why am I not Chayav Karet? And it seems like I'm not. So that's what we're trying to figure out here. Okay, so I want to start by going back to the Psukim, and then we're going to go ahead to the Ramba. You see that here in Achrimot, in the parsha that we've been dealing with the whole the whole yoma, it says that at the end of the thing, after the, all the avodah, it says, This is an everlasting law. Those are the two things. Right? Afflict yourselves and don't do malacha. And then, etc. Shabbat Shabbaton Hilachem. Now remember the phrase Shabbat Shabbaton, it's going to come back to us. And so a repetition of this. Now in the next paragraph, which is from Emor, and then gets karet. And then gets karet. Right? And again, Shabbat Shabbaton and Shishbetu Shabbatchem. So there's these phrases that keep repeating, Inui Nefesh, Shabbat Shabbaton, Karet, all over, right? right? And this is something that we see consistently. Now, these other psukim that I put in are because, as we recall, because we just saw them, the Gemara then identifies that 
um, anointing is considered an Inui, the story from Daniel. Daniel says, I have been very loyal and I've been very ascetic and I have not anointed myself. And then the Malach comes to him and says, because you have afflicted yourself, I am coming to see you. And that's the word lehitanot. So we see the things that Daniel did are considered an Inui. That includes not anointing. Then in this pasuk, we somehow connect anointing and bathing, perhaps. And the pasuk that we already dis discarded, we come back to and say it refers to marital relations, Inui. And then in uh, the last piece of this puzzle is that when Shlomo tells Evyatar HaKohen that he's fired, but he's not going to get killed when Evyatar sided with Adoniyahu, uh, he says, Evyatar, the reason that I'm going to save your life is because you were loyal to my father and you carried the Aron. And you suffered and you afflicted yourself in everything that my father was afflicted. You were loyal to him. And we read later that David, uh, we can sort of infer for a certain period, did not bathe while he was running away from Avshalom, and also that he walked barefoot. And so all of this together brings us to Inui, to all those five things. But then we come back to the question. If we're going to claim that Inui refers to all five of these things, because we've used all of these psukim, and the punishment for anybody not doing Inui is karet, then the question now is staring us in the face. How is it that if somebody wears leather shoes on Yom Kippur, intentionally, not caring, somebody bathes or puts on coal on Yom Kippur, why are they not chayav karet? There is no sanction whatsoever. It's just a prohibition. How does that work? And that's what we're going to try to deal with. So I want to move ahead here to the Rambam. And we're going to do a little tour of the Rambam over the course of the next um, 15 or 18 minutes or so. Uh, what are the Rambam's famous halachic works? If I ask you what are the famous Rambam's famous works, you would have to include the Moreh HaNebuchim, you would have to include a whole lot of responsa and some very important letters that he wrote and medical books that he wrote, correct. But if I ask you what are the Rambam's chief halachic works, what would you say? What? Okay, so the Mishnah Torah, the Yara Chazaka, which we reference almost every shiur, right? And you can't go any, anywhere without the Rambam. And that's what we call the Rambam, the Mishnah Torah. Correct. What else? Sefer Mitzvot. Sefer Mitzvot. Very good. Okay, and there's one other text that we're going to actually look at here, and we're doing it in, uh, in reverse chronological order. Let me tell you a little about the Rambam. The Rambam was born and grew up in Cordova, Spain. He was in the 1130s. And when he was a young man, the Almohadin, the unifiers, as it were, Muslim, violent Muslims who came in, and the essential thing was either accept Islam or die, uh, invaded that part of Spain. And the, the Maimonides family had to flee, and they fled across North Africa. And as you know, they ended up in Egypt and the Rambam lived most of his life in Fostat, which is a part of Cairo. <clears throat> when the Rambam was a young man, evidently still either in Spain or on the run, he composed a commentary on the Mishnah. Commentary on the Mishnah. Commentary on the entire Mishnah. It is an elegant, elegant work. However, not, there's no however to it, sorry, but the Ram, what language did the Rambam write in? Arabic. Almost Arabic. everything was in Arabic. Almost everything was in Arabic. All right? And the Rambam did not himself translate his own works into Hebrew. He commissioned others, the Thebanites, and then the others came along later. And there are still people today working on original texts of the Arabic into Hebrew to try to even improve upon more recent translations. Rabbi Yosef Kapach really has done the yeoman's work of, uh, he just passed away a few years ago, of contemporary translations. And so the Rambam is Perusha Mishnayot, which is a glorious work, uh, which is written in Arabic. And we're dealing with one of the translations here uh, when we look at it, um, is a commentary on the entire corpus of the Mishnah, but it includes four real important introductions. And you know some of them. One of them is, and you should read these, they're available in English. You should read, they're, they're great reading and very critical reading. One of them is the Rambam's introduction to the Mishnah, his introduction to the whole work. 
and in it he presents the process of the 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 transmission of Torah Shaval Peh. Um, the second one is the Rambam's introduction to Pirkei Avot. His commentary on Pirkei Avot is an amazing commentary, but he writes an introduction to this commentary on Pirkei Avot, and it's an eight-chapter essay on essentially psycho-political social interaction. Getting along with people, being part of society. And from, a, from the perspective of Chazal. And it's commonly known as the Shmone Prakim, the eight chapters. He also wrote an introduction, I'm leaving the best for last year, but he also wrote an introduction to Seder Tahorot, which is, a, which is a difficult, challenging area for anybody to study the, the world of Tumah Tahara. And in it, he presents Tumah Tahara in a classic Rambam, well-structured, easy to understand way. And he also wrote an introduction to the 10th chapter of Masachat Sanhedrin. Masachat Sanhedrin, the 10th chapter of Masachat Sanhedrin, which in the Talmud Bavli became the 11th chapter, it switched, became the last chapter, is a chapter that's commonly known as Chelek. And it starts with the, in, with the famous words, Kol Yisrael Yishlam Chelek Olam Haba. All Jews have a place in the world to come. What people aren't as familiar with is the rest of it, which says, the following are people who don't have a and it's where you might call it Jewish doxology kind of gets started. And there, if you make certain claims, you don't have a So the Rambam wrote an introduction because the Gemara of Perak is one of the most intense collections of, of mysterious Agadot, Agadot about resurrection, and Agadot about Mashiach, and Agadot about the world to come. That we have anywhere. So he wrote an introduction about how to study Agadah, where he gave his famous three groups of, of different approaches to studying Agadah. And in it, he also presented what he said, and it's important for people to know, the 13 basic principles that every Jew has to subscribe to. Uh, and he presents the 13 Ikarim, none of which ever say the words Anima Amin. That was a much later person who did that, but it's those 13 principles. All right, so the Ramos Perish Mishnayot. Later in life, he's in, in Cairo, and the Rambam composed Sefer Mitzvot, also in Arabic. Sefer Mitzvot is exactly that. It's a list of all 613 mitzvot. However, remember the problem, we've talked about this a few times, that Rav Samloy in the third century said that God gave us 613 mitzvot, 248 mitzvot lotase, 365 mitzvot lotase, but he didn't tell us what they were. And if you go through the Torah and count, you can come up with anywhere between 400 and 1,000, depending on how you count. Is to fill in one mitzvah, two mitzvot, or five mitzvot? Because the four parts, I mean, there's a lot of ways to count. I mean, some of that I'm making up. But one mitzvah or two mitzvot is certainly a dispute. Are the two uh, the times we say kriyat shema, is that one or two? Is there a mitzvah in the Torah to daven or not? And all of these things were, were con contended and somewhat contentious issues. And the Rambam wrote Sefer Mitzvot, which was not the end of the discussion by any means. And he wrote it in Arabic, but he wrote 14 critical introductory paragraphs, which he called Shorashim, um, kind of basic principles, which, in which he outlined why he chose certain things and why he did not choose other things to be on his list. And a Sefer Mitzvot is a halachic work. And then in the 1170s, he set about to writing the Mishneh Torah, I think in the 1180s. Uh, and that, of course, is, is, is magnum opus, right? So all that aside, now we're going to take a look at it backwards. Now, in the Mishneh Torah, the Rambam organized it, and he followed, he said, he followed Rabbi Yudanasi's model of organization. And so he, instead of six orders, he set up 14 different sections, call them volumes, in each section, there are sets of halachot. So we have the third section is called uh, Zmanim. And in Zmanim, there are a series of Hilchot Shabbat, and Hilchot Eruvin, and Hilchot Shvitat Asor, and Hilchot Yom Tov, etc. And then each one is chapters, and each chapter has subparagraphs. Exactly like the Mishnah. All right? And in, in the beginning of each set of halachot, he tells us which mitzvot are going to be discussed here. So you understand how Sefer Mitzvot works as, a, as, a, as an introduction to this. And so you open up Hilchot Shvitat Asor, right here on, page, on source number 14. 
And you see that he says, Yesh bicholan arba mitzvot. Right? This includes four mitzvot. Shtei mitzvot asei, ushtei mitzvot lo And by the way, if you go through all of these and add them up, you end up with 365. And for 248 and 613. And it all works out. V'zeu pratan. I'll tell you what the mitzvot are. One, lishpot bo To avoid, to cease doing melacha. That's the mitzvot asei. Shalola sot bo Prohibition, do not do melacha. Lehit anotbo to afflict yourself. And then not to eat or drink. Now, right away, your, your, your red light should be going off. The Ramam says there is a mitzvah in the Torah to afflict yourselves. There is another mitzvah in the Torah not to eat or drink on Yom Kippur. Separate mitzvah. Strange. Okay. We're going to see whether this is consistent. But now let's look at the actual halachot, the gufa halachot. Mitzvat aseh acheret. This is after the Rambam introduced the prohibition of malacha. Mitzvat aseh acheret yesh biyom ha-kippurim. Source 15. V'yilishpot bo me'achila u'shtia. And that is to avoid eating and drinking. Notice, eating and drinking, that's all. Shenemar ta'anot nafshotechem. Mipi ha-shmu'ah lamdu. Meaning they have a tradition which they, which they understood from the text. Inui shu l'nefesh zehatzom. Affliction to the life, that's fasting. If you fast on Yom Kippur, you fulfill the mitzvah If you eat or drink, you violated a mitzvah And you violated a Now here, it's strange. The Torah never says, don't eat. It says, afflict yourself. And if you don't afflict yourself, you get karate. So we have a problem here because of our general rule. You can't give a punishment without giving a warning. But here, the Torah said you get karet. If you didn't afflict yourselves, you see you're not allowed to eat or drink. By the way, eat or drink. There's no mention of washing or anything else here. Right? Okay. Then the chen lamanum piashmua. We also learn mi piashmua, which means the oraita. Shasur lechotzpo olasuch olin olatasandal olivol. The other four things. Umitzvah lishbot mikol elu kederch shishavet meachila ushtia. There's a mitzvah to cease from this, like you cease from eating and drinking. Shenemar Shabbat Shabbaton Shabbat liinyan melacha Shabbaton liinyanim elu. You know how we grew up. Everybody said, oh, Yom Kippur is the biggest day because Shabbat Shabbaton, right? We all grew up, Shabbat Shabbaton. The Bible here says, you know what Shabbat Shabbaton is? Shabbat is Malacha Shabbaton from these other things. Because what Shabbat mean? To cease. So Shabbat is ceasing from work. Shabbat Shabbaton because you're ceasing from two things. From work and from these four five things. But there's no liability for anything because of eating or drinking. If a person did violate one of the other four things, now this is tricky. He gets makat mardut, which is typically the punishment Beitin gives for violating a dirabanan. So I'm trying to figure out, and this is what the whole she is leading to is, what's the issue with washing? Is washing the same as, as drinking? If it is, then why don't you have karet? If it's not, why aren't you allowed to do it? And why is it included in Inu? But if it's included in Inu, why is there no karet for it? It's very strange. Um, we're going to go backwards a little bit. In a Sefer Mitzvot, the Rambam says, a mitzvah should be samach dalad, kuf samach dalad, and the mitzvah asay, number 164. Right? And he says, Again, everybody, everybody comes back to the Sifra. The Sifra is central. It has to be affliction which harms your life. Right? We also have a tradition that you're not allowed to do the other four things. You have to cease from doing these things. Right? How do I know that? Shabbat Shabbaton Hulachem. 
כאילו הוא יאמר שחובה בו השביתה מיוחדת במלאכות והמעשים והשביתה מיוחדת במזון הגוף וקיומו, ולכן אמר שבת שבתון. In other words, cease from מלאכה and cease from feeding your body. And then, לשון ספרה מנין שיום כיפורים אסור בחיצה ושיחה ותשביט שמיטה, how do I know that I can't do those other things? תמוד אומר שבת שבתון, שבות. Cease. Very strange. Could it be that Rechitza uh, is, the Yisur of Rechitza is a geder against Achila and Shtia? Okay, how so? Go ahead. Because uh, that's, that's a common practice. You wash your hands before you eat. So you wash your hands and think you have to eat and maybe, maybe, maybe Shogeg, you're going to grab some food and eat. Maybe it's a, sort of a geder. So as the Torah said, not only avoid food, which is the real problem, but avoid things that could get you near food. I like it. But what, but, what are you going to do about shoes? Uh, no shoes, no service. Okay. Could be. Yeah, I don't know. It's a good especially, theory. Especially pigskin shoes. I think you don't eat them. Right. And, and where's that going to take you with uh, the Tashmish Amita? It's uh, difficult. difficult. Uh, it, leads, it leads to mixed dancing. That's why. That's <laughs> certainly. I think that's the answer to everything. Right. So in, this, in the Mitzvah Lotas, they also in 117, let's take a look for a second. Um, and the Rambam again, the Sefer Mitzvot, I mean, I have a few different editions of it here, um, is the, the 14 introductory paragraphs, and then a, a list of all the mitzvot, and then details about the 248 mitzvot say, with lots of commentary around it. The Ramban wrote a famous commentary on this, also on the Shorashim and also on the, on the Sefer Mitzvot. And the Ramban, by the way, contended against the Rambam, nothing unusual there, and said this should not have counted, or these two should be counted as one, or whatever it may be. And when the, when the Ramban ended his commentary, his critique of the Rambam, he ended up with about 15 missing mitzvot. Because if the number is 248 and you knock 15 out, you got to find. And so the, the Ramban had an, a different 15 that he thought should be in there. All right. And so it's called Shichat in the forgotten mitzvot. Same thing with the Lotaseh. So here then, in, in Lotase number 196, he says, that God forbade us from eating on Yom Kippur, right? And then he says, the Torah never actually said, don't do it, but it said, if you do it, you get karet. So therefore, you understand that you, uh, that you, uh, that it's prohibited, right? And notice that here it is only eating and drinking. Again, we're trying to get to, trying to get down to, to what this is. So let's go back to the Rambam as a young man. Rambam Perusha Mishnah. All right, in his commentary on our Mishnah, I want to do this because I also want you to get a little tour of the Rambam's life. Right, it's actually a, a very interesting study to follow in the proper order from Perusha Mishnayot to Sefer Mitzvot to the Mishnah Torah, and then if there are Chuvot or other communications along the way. So it all fits in. And you'll see something really, really impressive about the Rambam. The Rambam had no issue of changing his mind if he felt that he had erred and that he, that he now understood things better, uh, which, is, which is a remarkable thing, really, for somebody of his stature. Okay. The Rambam says, The Torah never said exact, explicitly not to do these things, these five things. But the Torah five different times said, and we saw it on the front, on the first page, the word inui, affliction. He gives us the beginning of each pasuk, where it says inui. Now, by the way, that means that the Torah prohibited all five things with the word Inui five times. Which means we're coming back to our original question, then why aren't all five on a par? And how come if you put on a colonia, not chayav karet? And why isn't there a shear for rechitza? Right? And why you say, if you put on your shoe, you're not chayav till you tie it, or something like that. It was shear. Every one of these things is called an Inui, somewhere in Tanakh. That's what we saw on the first page. Daniel doesn't anoint himself, that's called Inui. Avyatar didn't bathe like David didn't bathe, that's called Inui. Avyatar went barefoot like David, that's called Inui. 
right? The Lavon told Yaakov not to avoid uh, marital intimacy with his wives. That's Inui, okay? Now, he's, he's giving us the presentation, but not the reason. He's saying that even though we find Inui in regards to all of these things, they are really an asmachta, which means really when the Torah says te'anu, it's referring to eating and drinking. And all the other things are sort of a pasuk to rely on in order to be able to prohibit these things. And therefore, Yechayav Makat Mardut, which sounds like the Rambam saying that Rechitza and those other things are de Rabbanan. Are de Rabbanan. In the Mishnah Torah, he clearly said it was Doraita, which means possible Rambam changed his mind. It's possible we're not understanding him correctly. Inyan Omram Asur. And the Rambam now answers the question at the beginning of the Gemara. Why didn't the Gemara say Karait? Why did the, Gemara, why did the Mishnah say Asur? Remember the first question? Why, why do you say Yom Kippur is Asur? Why do you say Karate? Because he says very simply, because you're not Chayav Karate for four out of the five things. All right, good. Now, um, the Kesav Mishnah, as you know, the Rabbi Yosef Karo, the his commentary on the Rambam. By the way, he does the exact, almost the same exact thing in the Beit Yosef on the tour. Uh, cites Rishonim, who maintain that the other four things are all the Rabbanan. Part of the argument is you be chayav karet otherwise. The very fact you get makat mardut. The very fact that we are flexible with bathe, with washing and anointing and shoes shows that they're the Rabbanan. Then we have the Ran who disagrees and says they're still Doraita. And a lot of the different sugyot that we've looked at in the last couple of days pop into this discussion. Um, I'm going to share with you one observation of Rabbeinu Manoach. Rabbeinu Manoach um, was a, in a 13th century Provencal Chacham. Rabbi, can I just offer, can I ask a very, very quick question? Sure, absolutely. Uh, on this issue of Doraita or, or Dorabanan, why wouldn't that be flushed out in the Gemara? Oh, very good question. Very good question. Um, the, the practical application of it, there is no real practical application of it. Because, first of all, since whether or not there were a, uh, a, an earthly punishment administered for Yom Kippur, there isn't. But even if there were, by the time we're dealing with this, it doesn't, it's not operative anyways. And so the only difference really would be an issue of safek, right? We deal with the mm. safek drabanan more leniently, but there's not really much of a safek here. I know what water is, and I know what my hands are, and I know not to wash my hands, right? Um, it could be that the, that the Mishnah is already hinting to us that it's the Rabbanan by the fact that it's making allowances in those cases. That's the Rosh's argument. On the other hand, it could be that the way the Torah presented it was more limited and therefore it doesn't apply to certain, like Nigel said, special circumstances. So you got a good question. And we'd be a lot better off if the Gemara was a little more clear. But then again, some of us would be out of business. <laughs> I say that tongue in cheek, obviously. All right, so I'm going to share with you what Rabbeinu Manoach wrote a fabulous commentary on the Rambam, Sefer HaMenucha. You remember in the Rambam's time and for a little while afterwards, the real center of serious Jewish scholarship in the world was in Provence. And so this is an example of it. And in his commentary here, I was actually so blown away by this comment that I highlighted it and said, I got to share it with you, even at 628. All right. And he, he deals with the same problem. He goes through all the psukim that are there that indicate that bathing and shoes and everything else are all doraita. And then he says, here we go. Remember the Rambam in, in the Mishnah Torah said, it says Shabbat Shabbaton Shvot Mikolele. And he explains, the tray Shabbat Shabbaton Ktivi Boraita. I'm reading in the yellow. He says twice Yom Kippur is called Shabbat Shabbaton. I'll show it to you right here. Take a look. Shabbat Shabbaton, right here at the end of the first source, Lamed Bet, Shabbat Shabbaton, and um, 
Shabbatchem, but it's also Shabbat Shabbaton in, oh, sorry, up here, right? Shabbat Shabbaton in the first source and in the second source, right? Shabbat Shabbaton Hilachem, Shabbat Shabbaton Hilachem. All right, so Rabbeinu Manoach says as follows. Twice it says Shabbat Shabbaton in the Torah. Says one of them is to tell you avoid melacha. Now get ready for this. The other one is to tell you that there are five afflictions. Five, not four. Five afflictions. It's a brilliant analysis. I mean, I'm, I'm very impressed by it. He says, just like on Shabbat, the Torah prohibited malachot, and that included malachot that were things done in the Mishkan. The Chachamim came along and added to that malachot that were not in the Mishkan, and that's called Shvut. All the things that we prohibit on Shabbat, Shvut. In other words, the way he says it is as follows. What the Torah out, outrightly, explicitly prohibited was eating and drinking. And then by using the word Shabbaton, it said, and this, sure, and this a little bit goes in the direction you were suggesting, that, and then what the, what the by the Torah calling it a Shabbaton, saying this should be a day of, extending that cessation to other things. So just like on Shabbat, the main thing is we cease from Malachot done in the Mishkan and we extend it to others. Similarly, Yom Kippur, the main thing is to cease from those from eating and drinking and then we extend it to other certain kind of pleasures that are hinted to with the word Inuit. I think it's a brilliant idea. I want to suggest something a little bit different um, and, and you tell me what you think. And, and this is kind of harsh um, from perspective, looking at Yom Kippur, but it seems to be what the Torah is saying. You're supposed to afflict your life. Afflict your life. And, and the Sifra, when trying to decide what that meant, it finally tipped the scales by looking at the punishment, which is I will destroy the life who doesn't afflict. Which means what the Torah seems to be telling us to do on Yom Kippur is I want you to put you yourself a little bit, a little bit at the brink of extinction. Self-imposed at the brink of extinction. That has nothing to do with bathing, it's nothing with oil, nothing with shoes. It's simple sustenance. Put yourself just at the brink a little bit. And that that is the essential mode of our stand on Yom Kippur. And that's why the karate comes from not doing that. Because what's the karate? The karate is if you're not willing to join the rest of Am Yisrael and be cheerleaders for the Kohen Gadol as he goes into the Kodesh and the Kodesh Kodeshim by participating with putting yourself on the line, just a little bit, put yourself on the line, then you're out of here. That's karate. And you are destroyed. And Chazal saw it that way. They said, how do we determine what Inui is? It's Inui Nefesh is Nefesh. What the punishment is, that's the gross version of the fine version of what we're supposed to do. So what's all the other things? So there seem to be two different things operating here. One is you have to afflict yourselves. That's, that's fast. The second thing is Shabbat Shabbaton. It's a day of getting away from what? So on a regular Shabbat, it's getting away from business, getting away from the telephone, getting away from the computer, getting away from driving. It's getting away from all the weekday stuff, right? So besides the technical malachot, there's an aura of Shabbat. There are things we don't talk about on Shabbat. There are festive meals on Shabbat. There's family together on Shabbat. There's all these things that we do to distance ourselves further from the things that the Torah prohibited. The Torah prohibits being involved in the <laughs> mundane world. So we do all these things to separate ourselves. We extend it. We expand it. What's Yom Kippur? So Yom Kippur is a one day in which you are asked to go to the brink. To step away from physical sustenance. And the extension of that is 
physical pleasure. But the Torah is not going to go too far. So only those things that you can find somewhere in Tanakh where the word Inui shows up are prohibited. Not everything in the world. We're not going to say you can't learn. God forbid. We're not going to say you can't sing. You can't see your friends. You can't dance together in the middle of Yom Kippur. Sometimes the most joyous time. Yom Kippur for me is the happiest day of the year. It's very happy. It's not happy on a physical level. You guys have ever been in yeshiva at the end after uh, before Tkiat Shofar? It's unbelievable. Five, six, seven hundred guys jumping up and down singing. They haven't eaten in 25 and a half hours and they don't care because their physical life is not part of it. Right now, they're just a little spiritual. And so it seems that the essential prohibition is eating, and that's what the Rambam says in the Sefer Mitzvot. And that's why there's karate for violating that. And what are the other things? The other things are extending that separation from the world of physical pleasures to try to enhance and intensify the spiritual connection that Yom Kippur. The Rabbanan. Uh, that's the machloket. That's oh, okay. an interesting machloket. Exactly. Whether it's the Rabbanan or the right. But it's certainly un unquestionably it's secondary. Absolutely. Good. Okay, yeah. So Let's hopefully... Go that clarifies uh, things a little bit. Um, 